Today's podcast with the three of us is one of those that makes us think about life, think about the decisions that we make, good and bad, and how to go after those goals that set our soul on fire, not being afraid to say yes to things that scare us, not being afraid to say no to things that will hinder our paths and change our lives, that are still hard to say no to because of peer pressure and all kinds of other things. So listen up to this Rodeo Kids podcast featuring Kelly Kenny and with guest Cowboy Colt, hosted by myself, Camry Woodburn. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. All right, so I was going to say Cowboy Paul, and then I was going to say Kelly Kenny, and I said it all at the same time. But welcome, you guys, to the podcast. Um, this is the Rodeo Kids podcast, and um, Kelly Kenny, obviously, we've been. A family friend forever, uh, starting with the Cajun Festival, and Cole, we just met, but it's... We are newly friends. Newly friends, but it's been fun, and we're all in Vegas. We are. Yeah. And we're lucky to be here. Yeah. So, today, I want to talk to you, Kelly, about, like, what it's like to be a rodeo announcer, how you got started, and just, you know, our podcast is all about helping kids see different sides of the industry and to motivate them at the same time. So, um, let's just start with how you got started. Mm. I knew you was, she was going to ask me that. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy go-to right there. It's yep. an easy go-to for the, for her. Yep. Longest, toughest answer for me. Yeah. But I'm glad you asked because it's, it's, uh, it's a, I guess it's the, probably the most important one people want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's kind of a long, boring answer. I'll try to edit it down. But when I was in high school, I, uh, I, come from, I don't come from a rodeo family. Uh, we were all we were in the country had some cattle and my family had cattle and or you know my extended family had I had an uncle that was a run a lot of cattle and we were sports oriented uh, music oriented church oriented just from the country we was from the hills in southwest Missouri <clears throat> and um, in school you know my dad went to college played basketball and he was a trucker my mom was a city clerk we just a normal little small town less than a thousand people population. My brothers were both big into sports, and, and I, I was too, but I was leaning more towards the Western end of life in a rodeo deal, but nobody rodeoed. Mm. So I didn't really have a go-to. My dad didn't rodeo, mom, nobody did in my immediate family. I just was drawn to it at a really young age, and we had a little sorrel pony, little Shetland that bit us and kicked us and bucked us off, and I guess Classic. we... Made they us kind sometimes like to call yeah, those that's what they're good at. H-I-T lens. H-I-T lens, yeah. <laughs> so that was, I, nice. you know, and it probably was good because those little Boogers. things will, uh, <laughs> they'll either make you want it more or you will decide you want nothing to do with that life right out of the gate. That's exactly right. So I don't know, the, I think that's kind of where my fire got lit, I guess. So fast forward to high school. Um. I decided I wanted a high school rodeo. I just heard about it and learned about it. But in Humansville, Missouri, there there was never, nobody even, my counselor, my principals, nobody even, they didn't even know there was a high school rodeo program. Such a thing, yeah. I think so, that's really common, too. It, well, this was in, I graduated in 93, so this would have been in 90, 
9091. Holy jeepers. Damn, I'm a 93 model. That sounds like so long ago. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I, I used to be the kid on the show. Now I'm the old fart on the show. <laughs> anyway. Um, now you're the mentor. You're the right. mature. You're the seasoned. Is, is veteran going too well, far? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all makes me old, but, you know, I guess I've lived longer than I figured I would, so it's all good. There so. you go. Uh, anyway, I guess that's probably one of my biggest accomplishments. Not that that's the question you asked, but I'm getting to that. But is the fact that I, I guess I just wasn't going to take the fact that nobody knew about what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't let that discourage me to where I quit searching. Yeah. So I just started, and there was zero in it. We didn't have cell phones in 1990. When I was a freshman, uh, literally. Did they even exist? No, then? they did not. Because I mean the bag phones. I remember when those came out. I that remember being in the trucks. Like yeah, trucks. I remember borrowing my brother's bag phone, his truck, and it had a bag phone in it when I was driving, and I didn't have my driver's license till I was a junior, and they just came out. So I think it was at '92. Mm-hmm. So when I started this, it was just, <clears throat> it was literally write a letter to somebody and mail it to them. God, it's, it's like Pony Express. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her name was Frances Krause. She was the secretary for the Missouri High School Rodeo Association. I thought she's passed and gone now, I believe. But uh, I just kind of fumbled around and read and researched and like literally went to, a li- went to libraries and stuff and tried to research this. And my ca- high school counselor <clears throat> and uh, Miss Hogan, our principal, <clears throat> excuse me, said if I could figure out what they needed to do, they would help me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was something that had to go through the school mm-hmm. or if it was something that didn't go through the school. I had no idea. I was completely oblivious to any of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I stumbled across this Francis Krause's name and address and sent her a letter, and she sent a little packet. I give it to the – and then my counselor discovered a couple things. And So anyway, fast forward again. We figured it out <clears throat> and got – a membership into the high school rodeo association but now i don't have a horse i don't i don't know how to bulldog i wanted to bulldog because i was a big a big mm-hmm. kid and i kind of learned how to rope just by tinkering around with it mm-hmm. at the and my my cowboy buddies and and then a couple local ranchers uh well back up a little bit i we stumbled around and was able to afford an old horse from a friend of mine for 250 bucks and a little bay mare and that was a heck of a deal no yeah. joke uh, well, no, not not in 1990. It wasn't. That's true. Relevant, right? Yeah. I mean, right. and, and from especially time. from a, I mean, I come from a very uh, low key family. I mean, dad dad drove a truck, and mom didn't work till I, till later. Okay. <clears throat> till all of us kids were in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, hunting back in that era was dad hunted out of necessity. Okay. You know, now we hunt for fun. Yeah. Right. Uh, killing a deer or two a year. Or a, a turkey or catching a bucket full of fish was a big deal back then because mm-hmm. he didn't go. His life. Yeah, I mean that went to the freezer and fed us. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> fast forward again. I don't want this to get all boring, but so we discovered that I don't have a horse. So I learned a couple guys that had some horses, and I called them. I said, "Hey, if 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 I can come to these rodeos, can you maybe show me how to bulldog or teach me how to bulldog and let me ride a horse?" And so I got that little bay mare and started. Oh, there was a little team pinning deal and some team ropings going on and I kind of I just taught myself how to rope I guess and become a pretty <clears throat> a pretty good header uh won some money won a saddle and just won a few things around there you know and 
and liked to rope. And so I was team roping and bulldog. And I go to my first rodeo. It was actually at the McCloy Ranch. You remember Odie McCloy? Mm-hmm. Well, him and I were the same age, so we rodeoed together. And his dad, Bill McCloy, hosted uh, the first spring high school rodeo in Missouri at their place in Licking, Missouri. Okay. At their ranch. So I get down there. Uh, I got a, a Troy Calloway. I don't know if you remember Troy Calloway. Brandy Calloway. Yeah, anyway, uh, he was a bulldogger, fairly accomplished bulldogger, really, really good at it, and had a nice set of horses. And over the phone, they said they'd mount me. And I was too scared to tell anybody I'd never bulldogged a steer before. Oh, nice. I just really wanted to. Yeah. So like I. Have you even, like, shoe dogged or no. done any of that kind of nothing? Like, not a hand on a beef at all? No. I mean, other than. Other than, yeah. Other like than to throw just one. screwing around. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> never, had, uh, never had anybody say. Put your hand here. Do this with your feet. Do this. Shape it like this. Do this or that. Nothing ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably one of the funniest stories in my career is Ron Calloway was his dad, and I get on this horse, and there's a whoever it was in front of us. I'm next to go, and I leaned over. And I said, "Mr. Calloway," he said, "Yeah." I said, "How do I do this?" Oh my god! <laughs> and he looked at me like, "What?" <laughs> Rewind, we should have yeah. done this before. We should have <laughs> at least talked about this a few minutes ago. And he said, give me that. He said, well, just hold on to the saddle horn with your left hand and the reins with your right hand and wait till you get to his hip and slide off in there and grab a hold and just do whatever you can. And, uh, just don't die. I, and just try, try not to die. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, long story longer, I guess. Um, hey, it's all good. This is interesting. Yeah. I'm into this. Um, I did make a qualified run on oh, my first year. Oh, there we go. However, it was quite some time. Yeah. Did you but get the buzzer? No, I no. They, I don't even remember what the time limit was. Oh, I I I was big enough, and those cattle were little enough, and I guess strong enough that I, all I needed to do was get a hold of him. It was horribly ugly. Yeah. Well, you could well, you could uh, maneuver him. You could yeah, handle him. But I got, Once you got him. I yeah. got a hold of him, and and I, I whatever 15, 20 seconds or something, and I. Uh, I thought I had just won the world title. That's good. In my mind, in my other mind, my other mind, whatever. And one part of me thought, man, I look so dumb out here doing this. <laughs> the other part of me was like, I don't know if anybody knows that that was the first year I ever ran in my life, Best but I do. Ever. That's that's how I view it. Is like something I admire about the era that you grew up in is you had to put in so much effort to go accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. Yeah. You went from literal nothing. And worked so hard to a point to where you were sitting on a horse going, oh, sh- right, like now I now I have to slide off this mofo. Right, right. But remember, it's rodeokids.com. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had this problem last time I was on here. Uh, it's okay. We can edit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you're right. And, it, and I mean, the light come on. Well, the light was on. It just got really bright right before I rode the box. I'm like, yeah. I need somebody to tell me at least the basics of how to do this. Yeah. So... Um, Speaking of that, one more part of this story. It's been a long time since I told this story. It's kind of fun. Um, you know what we traveled in? Um, well, was no, it the, a Cadillac with a one-horse trailer? Yeah, with like it, was, yeah. I, it was a 1978 Chevy pickup, a regular cab, four-speed, stick shift, yes. with a camper shell, regular cab, and it was my mom and my dad, an aunt and an uncle, and me. Oh, my gosh. Four adults and me, and I was as big as an adult. Five of us, regular cab in a stick stick shift, 
three-quarter ton pickup. In the wow, old bench I hope you seat. took pictures. And uh, I don't think we have any. And we we lit, that's what we rodeoed. My aunt and uncle just they want they were intrigued by it and they just wanted yeah. to go. So mom and dad thought, well, we'll take them in case we have trouble. We'll have you know and. That's what we rodeoed out of. That's, That's cool. so cool. I didn't have a horse. We didn't have a trailer or a horse, of course. Yeah. That was. <laughs> so. Um, oh, you didn't even know it. Yeah. So that's what we rodeoed in that whole whole year. Actually, two years. And I remember wow. that that that's very cool. rodeo. It because it, it always rains in May in Southwest Missouri. Well, doesn't was, it always rain? all the time yeah. in Southwest Missouri. I don't yeah. know how many times I've been to I've looking been to, to the Pro Rodeo. Well, like, that's Memorial Day weekend. That's true. I and guess you, that's you can true. you can put all your money on that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's either pouring down rain and knee-deep in mud, or it's gorgeous. Those are your two options. Or hot and humid. No, not Memorial Day. It's either really? beautiful or mud. Well, or, I mean, it's starting to get humid. Right, then, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, it rained that weekend, of course, but it was inside. Uh, so, the rodeo wasn't muddy. But I'll tell you my uh, humble beginnings so my dad had his tackle box, his fishing tackle box behind the seat. Had a toolbox, a little little briefcase-looking thing with his wiring stuff in it because he was a trucker, and truckers go everywhere. They don't go anywhere back in those days without their little wiring kit. Mm-hmm. So we had a little bag with his wiring stuff, a toolbox, and a tackle box. Well, it started to rain. And you two may not, you, you might remember this, but back in those days, that model of vehicle, they had what they called a wing in the window. Yep. Yep. So in the front corner by the mirror there was this little triangle shaped yep. window yep. Had like, like, and had a little lever yep. and then you just kicked your open little lever you flip the leather and pull it over and then it could shoot wind air in the cab so it's pouring down rain when we're trying to get home and it's about four hours down there in that truck on those roads in 1991 mm-hmm. <clears throat> now you can take a we can take a spaceship you know or yeah. r- yeah. ride yeah. ride yeah. your so drone true. down there tesla will drive itself so uh it started to rain coming home, and the windshield wipers quit working. So my dad stops, and very back then you had to be innovative, innovative, or you or and adjust on the flyer. You didn't survive. Mm-hmm. So he pulls over, gets his tackle box out, and you know those little nylon st- stringers where you put fish on them when you catch. We got a little ring on one end, the little metal st- stake on the other end. Yeah. He he run it to the passenger side so my uncle Dale could run it, and he put. A fishing stringer on the windshield wiper through the wing. Oh my gosh. And because the windshield wipers would go up, but they wouldn't come down. So he had to pull them back. So for four hours, we traded five adults in the cab of this truck. And we didn't, we didn't care. We, right. Like now we're like, that's the stupidest thing we ever heard. Back then it was just, we didn't care. We made it work. We kind of put a leg on each other once in a while. And if somebody needed to adjust, all all of us adjusted. But the windshield wipers would go up. And we'd pull the fishing stringer and pull them down. That and is, then you'd, that's rodeo. Then you'd, we'd pitch it at slack. We'd oh, pitch, my God. <laughs> we'd pitch the slack, and the windshield wiper would go back up. We'd pull it four hours. Oh, my God. And man. until we could replace the windshield wiper when we got home. So. Yeah, that's those, awesome. Those are and the best rodeo stories right there. Yeah. Well, yeah, just the ingenuity. Like, I even look at my dad and, and the men in my life who are all really handy and stuff. And, like, for the, the boys and even the girls who are listening to this, you know, like, my dad can fix anything. I mean, he's just done, he's had those yeah. kinds of experiences where you had to do that kind of stuff. Yep. You had to figure it out. You couldn't just call somebody to come pick you up two hours yep. away. You couldn't get an Uber. You couldn't get a taxi. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And you couldn't just call somebody. Like, if you were stuck on a back road, like, 
Yeah. You better figure it out because it might be hours, especially sure. in southern Missouri, oh, until yeah. somebody comes along. Neil, I've always heard that. Neil, what I, one of the things I like about him, too, is you wouldn't know it by talking to him. He's just just calm and cool and quiet and just kind of stand there. But this guy, her dad's a, a cool dude and yeah. can do a lot of things. Yeah, yeah so. he can fix anything. Before we go to Vegas, I asked him, so, you know, I, I'm a, kind of a last-minute person when it comes to putting together the nuts and bolts, literally, of it. Like, I can do all of the marketing and all of the buying of the product and design everything, but then it's like, okay, how are we going to make this work? Yeah. <laughs> so we're leaving on Sunday, and it comes to be like, Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, I'm like, so dad, uh, what are you doing here the rest of the week? You know, you got plans Friday night or Saturday? And he's like, already got them reserved for you. What do we need to fix? <laughs> A typical boss, though, waits until the end of the well, week sure. to ask. Yep. And then expects everybody to fix That's it. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, just my dad. He's just today. Thursday, <laughs> after, Thursday afternoon. So uh, you guys can work Saturday, right? Yeah. Um, just no? 12, 12, uh, yeah, 8 to 8. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. But I do think, like, for, for kids, you know, like my least favorite phrase is kids these days, but we got to get them putting their phones down more often and like actually tinkering with stuff because yeah. what that stuff can still happen. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. to yes. not have like the skills or even the knowledge to even think about sure. grabbing stuff out of your tackle box or not even having the tackle box to make it yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, because not every rodeo that we go to is in Las Vegas mm-hmm. right. where you can call the bell desk and say, I need three pair of jeans starched and creased and you have them before lunch yeah. mm-hmm. delivered to your door. Right. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah. we we've all got to. It's easy to when we come out here for two weeks. It's easy to get spoiled with room service, and uh, this is the only time of the year I, hi, I hire or order room service. I'm not doing it because I've, I'm royalty, mm-hmm. because I'm far as far from that as you can get. I do it sometimes because I don't have another option. Yeah, I'm so busy out here, just like many other people are. But this, I, when kids come to this town, they got to learn real quick that it's this is not common. No. It's not where we're sitting right now today at the NFR in Las Vegas. Right. But but you're right. You know, typically, you know, a lot of when I first started, and I'll finish the rest of yeah, my answer yeah. here in a little bit. But when I first started announcing rodeos, and I'll get to that later on. But I mean, every single I didn't have any big city rodeos back when I first started. They was yeah. all the little local county fairs, maybe a state fair now and then. I mean, I worked many of them after I got my pro card. But my early days. I mean, it was all just little, small community, local rodeos. Everything I did was rural. Mm-hmm. I never had a Napa Auto Parts or a drive-in Walmart service center. You had to do all that sh- stuff on your own, usually in the dark, in the rain, either cold yeah. or hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to, I mean, you nobody was, you couldn't call it AAA. Yeah. Right. In Puxico, Missouri, mm-hmm. at three in the morning on a Sunday. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be there till Farmer Joe drives by, and maybe he's got a ranch. Yeah. So I mean, if you needed it, so yeah, there you had to be resourceful, yeah, very resourceful. Big time, and big time. the today today's world, we can and probably all three of us sitting here have a couple specific skill sets. Back then, you had to be skilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't matter what it was. You yeah. had to be you good at all of it. Yeah, you had to do it all. You didn't have a choice. Yeah. That's why yeah. our dads. I haven't heard the story about your dad, but I know our dads are a lot alike. They could back. They could just whatever needed to be done. They had to do it because that was their only option when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm I'm in that generation. I'm 46 years old, but my I I remember. I mean, that's not very long ago in the grand scheme of things. 
And my dad, the house is still there. My dad was born in the living room floor mm-hmm. with no nurse, no doctor in, in that old house. She had four kids and they was all born in that living room oh, floor. Man. And my grandpa, Kenny, he raised that family with a team of horses. Yeah. That was my grandpa. He just died in 07 yeah. Yeah. or 06. I mean, that wasn't very long ago. So the generation advancement, if that's a phrase, is probably went further in a shorter period of time oh, in the yeah. last the 50, 50 yep. to 75 years. I mean, it's made a million year jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally. It's, it's I mean, kind of almost scary to think of what it's going to continue to do. Yeah. I mean, look yeah. at the, I mean, I know this probably a far reach, but look at the dinosaur era. I know this sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. they were the, they were the same for millions of years for the most part. Right. And then all of a sudden we come along yeah. and, and like we, we made a million, a multiple million year advancement in less than a century. Mm-hmm. We literally went from no electricity, no running water and horses for transportation a hundred years ago. And now we're literally the public can fly to outer space. We just sent William Shatner to the edge of outer space. Yeah. yeah. At a hundred years insane. old. It's At, crazy. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. and he's almost, he's 90 something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's also come so up he, through a lot, right? He's one of those he's guys that mm-hmm. his family, but anyway. Well, and I think that just goes to show too, though, like there's, we went to a show last night that was amazing. And like, these people are so athletic and there's so many different ways to live a life. And there's so many different things that you can do. You right. know? Like mm-hmm. he saw all of that stuff happen and you know, he kept moving forward to where he has the money. Like he, he did things that he probably never thought were going to sure. be able, but as long as you have a vision and you keep sure. going for that and as the vision gets bigger, you just got to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was to, to finish up my, my part of this question is I guess that's the, if, I try very hard not to credit myself for anything. I just go do what I can do and let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going to let the fact that I wasn't in a rodeo family stop me from something I wanted to do. So fast forward again to high school. So I had a couple knee injuries. Um, I, actually, my first knee injury, I was hauling hay. That's another whole story. <laughs> we used to haul, we used to haul th- uh, 500 to 1,000 bales of hay a day. Oh, wow. That's what we did for. You were in pretty good shape. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, yeah. You had, well, you had, you had to, <laughs> yeah. you know, honestly, there wasn't many fat kids back then. Yeah. Or out of shape kids or whatever yeah. you want to call them. Because you didn't have time to do that. No, it goes back to everything we've already talked about. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, there was work to be done. We yeah. Haul, yeah. If you if you mention hauling 1,000 square bales of hay in 95-degree weather today, mm. you will find nobody. Yeah. You pay them $50 a bale, they might come to it. We did it. Uh, <laughs> guess what we got paid? My brother had a little hay hauling crew, and I helped him some. But take a guess on what we got paid per bale. To haul a thousand bales, I'm talking dead of the summer. Yeah. And now this is not just hauling it, and putting it on a trailer, and going and unloading it with a tractor. Yeah. This is hauling hay, bucking the bales in a field, putting it on a truck, going to the to the hay barn, and putting it, stacking it in a loft where you could not breathe. Oh. Take a guess what we made a bale. I'm gonna say probably fifteen to twenty five cents a bale. What I was do you gonna think? say fifty. A penny. What? Oh, come on. When I wow. hauled my first bale of hay, we made a penny a bale. 
That reminds me of uh, like off in Napoleon Dynamite when he goes to that chicken farm and works for their day. He works like eight hour days and then the guy hands him eight bucks and change. He's like, that's a dollar an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, we haul a thousand bales. It was 10 bucks a head, 10 bucks a man. Yeah. Yeah. And so what were your what were your entry fees at your high school rodeos then? Like ten bucks? How, how I think far they were like I think well I think they <laughs> well yeah back then ten bucks was again haul a thousand bales of hay and kill yourself and and this is stacking it in a in a barn loft yeah mm-hmm. there's nothing hotter mm-hmm. oh no I don't no think Satan's li- Satan's living room is not as hot as a barn loft in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think our entry fees were probably like. 15 or 20 bucks okay. uh, per event. So, you know, to pay a $30, $40 entry fee or whatever it was for two events, I mean, it was huge. You had to put in work. We didn't have, and oh, back to that that old pickup, he had a camper shell on it and some. he built a plywood rack in the front of it. So uh, two people could lay sideways, two people could lay long ways, and then I laid in a little bunk up top. We, slept, we all slept in the back of the pickup and bathed in a water hose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were in no hotels. Yeah. If there was a hotel, we couldn't afford no hotel. Right. It was we we took a cooler, and put baloney and no bottled water, so we'd fill a coo- big jug of big water, jug of milk jugs. We'd fill milk jugs full of water, and you probably yeah. even froze them so you had ice. And then as they melted, if we they could, yeah. You know, if we could, we would, yeah. 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 But anyway, um, so I don't know how I got off on the hay hauling deal, but uh, <laughs> oh, that's where I had my first injury. Yeah. I was unloading hay, and there was a guy throwing it off the stack, and I was down low on the ground, and I was picking a bell up and throwing it to the new stack, and he rolled a bell off, and it hit me in the side of the knee and dislocated oh. my knee. Oh, I was probably brutal. yeah, it hurt, and that that was the start of my uh, knee injuries, and that was I was probably fourteen, something like that. I was probably in junior high, so I hadn't really started rodeoing yet. That's young, and um, so I. I, I Steer wrestling. I had another knee injury here, and I re-injured the other one after I kind of healed up, and and so I couldn't play basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I only got to play baseball my senior year, and I did that in a full leg splint because I had a blown out knee. Yeah. So I, I I never really got to. So back up a little bit again. My high school coach. Uh, in basketball. And yeah, or uh, in, back then they were your coach. Oh, just Back then, okay. you, you had a coach. Yeah. He was your PE coach, your baseball coach, your basketball coach, mm-hmm. your whatever coach, your this and that coach. We used to, it was called Lifetime Sports. And I don't mm-hmm. know what it's called now, but we used to go, we had shooting class at home, like cool. with guns. Yeah. yeah. Well, but now we have the rifle class in FFA. You can do rifle shooting. Yeah. I mean, we had it back then. So, any, from Canada. We have, they, don't they have would that. do nothing like that at home. And it's actually disappointing because I feel like there is a huge gap to where kids are not taught the proper safety. Sure. You can go take the course and whatnot, but you know, now you're, you have to be 18 to go do that. Uh, you know, these kids have, you have access to so much on that little laptop in your pocket. Now yeah. we need to, I don't know. I think in Canada, I think we need to do a way better job when it comes to just gun control and safety. Well, well, gun safety is gun control. Yeah. We that's what I'm saying is we, like, but we, we don't, we like, don't, it's yeah. people don't even like to talk about it at home. Guns yeah. are like a, a very weird topic, a very weird issue. It's that's, not even an issue, to be honest, but it's not talked about. Yeah, that's scary because it, mm-hmm. it is talked about and it is an issue to the non-law-abiding citizens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the law-abiding citizens, they're the, one, they're the only ones not participating. Yeah. Yeah. They're the ones that need to be participating the most. Yeah. So that's a whole new uh, story. That's, that's a rabbit hole. That's yeah. a rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, when we was kids, I mean, it was, 
we had, I mean, guns were a tool. They weren't a toy. They were a tool. They still are. Yeah. Most people. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. But we were, I guess we were taught that. I mean, there was, we didn't have, we didn't lock them up when we were kids. We didn't, yeah. dad had a little gun cabinet, but there was a gun stacked everywhere. Every yeah. vehicle had you one. You knew what it was used for. And yeah, we didn't. And that was that. Yeah, we didn't, they didn't have to spank us for touching the gun because we didn't we, we knew we wasn't supposed to in the first place yeah. yeah anyway and high school rodeo has rifle shooting now too oh really yeah they have a, at the high school level at I did not the know state that. level and at the national level really mm-hmm. that's cool yeah. i'm glad to do yeah. so um so i had these knee injuries wasn't able to play basketball so my high school coach i i guess i was always a cut up and uh, i've matured early mm-hmm. and uh, had a had a deeper voice and you know i than most kids and he said why don't you announce the basketball games since you can't play because mm-hmm. I was always screwing with everybody you know making jokes and making, picking on everybody or, or you know and fun mm-hmm. and uh, he was a cut up too he had a big sense of humor so he kind of jokingly said well do something you got to do something you're not doing anything you're sitting over you know and, and I said okay whatever so I got on the microphone and just kind of piddled around with that and announced just the local basketball games and and actually got good at it you know yeah and funny story later on in life i was i actually was hired to go work some big tournaments oh yeah as a basketball tournament cool. announcer and, and i loved it because i because awesome. i understood the game yeah i didn't get to play it much but understood the game and uh, also and enjoyed the game well enough that i went on to be a college basketball referee for about 15 or 10 12 15 years wow. well so, i think like all of that is a super good point like with your coach saying like you got to do something like just because absolutely what yeah. you thought your plan was i yeah. mean it's just like the bible tells us and everything you know everything like whatever you think your plan is it's gonna change sure, so yeah. but if you can look for the opportunity outside of that that might be the change of your life well yeah. good point because instead of me sitting over there on the sideline during basketball practice playing on Facebook, I was sitting over there twiddling my thumbs and he gave me a job to do. And that that was the first microphone I ever touched and that's now it's turned into a 26 year career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't have never ever known that if I'd have been over there TikToking or whatever you call it. Yeah. Or even just, or even even just feeling sorry for yourself. Or, yeah, or, or I would have, yeah, my, my attitude, my Mm-hmm. My, that's what leads to depression that, is when that, you don't yep. find another avenue when things don't work out the way you want them to you've got to shift and yeah. figure okay well what do I do now you don't have something to you don't have a job for your mind not necessarily yeah. your yeah. body but your yeah. mind And so anyway he gave me this or encouraged me to do it and then I was in FFA of course mm-hmm. and uh, Lyndon Bay's my uh, FFA advisor he encouraged me to get on the cap, uh, beef judging team okay mm-hmm. so th- this was my first public speaking experience and I credit it to him more as much as anybody um, he wanted me to do it and I said well, what's it entail you know we talked about it and I said I don't want to give reasons uh, if you know anything about showing cattle where you judge the cattle and you tell why you judged them that way to, mm-hmm. the, to the crowd yeah. or the judges the other judges and uh, I said yeah I don't think I want to do that he encouraged me the same way he said no you can, you can do this all you got to do is tell them why you think the calf looks like he does so, very reluctantly, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll try it. So I went to a cattle show, and we judged the cattle as the FFA team, and I gave reasons. And it was it was in that same era as when I run my first steer. I was like, I am terrified. But then when I got done, I was like, oh, thank God. I got, <laughs> I got that over with, and it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. bad. All the other kids, they feel stupid too. Yeah. But 
you know, but we're all, we're all encouraging each other. So I went yeah. and gave reading. That was my first public speaking engagement, judging cattle. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought same, same deal. It's a direct, it's a direct correlation with my career to that, my current career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you take the basketball deal and the, the cattle judging and mm-hmm. given reasons and, and my desire to rodeo. So you kind of put all that together and I started the team roping and bulldogging thing and and uh, I wasn't a very good ever ever a very good bulldogger. I could rope pretty well. Um, so one thing led to another and got through high school and uh, the interesting part and this is where this is what led to actually Cam and I meeting. Um, I always had a love for music also. My, okay. my grandpa was a self-taught master musician. He could play anything. He could pick a fiddle up and in, or a banjo and in five minutes could be playing whatever song you told him to play. It was crazy. Well, that trait was passed down to most of us Kenny kids, and I always wanted to play music. So our local saddle club, so all this other stuff's going on. I'm in early high school. And our local saddle club needed some money, so we was trying to think of a way to a saddle club where we just went and messed around and roped mm-hmm. and played and whatever. Needed some money, so we decided to put a little fundraiser together. And uh, I'd been playing a little bit of guitar because when I was about nine years old, mom and dad put me in. They drummed up enough money to put me in guitar lessons mm-hmm. for like three months just to teach me the basics. Yeah. And then I sat around their old eight-track player and cassette player listening to Merle Haggard and George Jones and followed followed along with those old tapes and just my dad knew just enough about it to show me a few chords but I thought he was George Strait and I had the (laughs) you know I had a Martin D28 in my hands anyway so I'd kind of screwed around and taught myself how to play guitar and we put a little band together with a couple other cowboy buddies of mine and we rented an old vacant high school gym in Flemington Missouri and went over there and we charged two dollars a person to get in for a fundraiser and like 400 people showed up oh wow and filled this thing in the dance we just played whatever songs we knew we, we did we were probably terrible i'm sure but everybody danced every song just like the cajun deal yeah. the dance floor was full and that was the start of a really long run i that was my sophomore year and I, that was in 91 mm-hmm. and by 93 when i was a senior I, we, I had put together an entire band that we were playing every Friday and Saturday night probably three quarters of the year. That is awesome. We played That's super cool. every honky-tonk yeah. and dance hall in southwest Missouri. As a senior in high school, we were, we were traveling, playing music, and had a really good band. Wow. So I was rodeoing. If I didn't have the band booked, I was rodeoing. And uh, and then you were probably able to help pay your own entry fees. Then I, Oh, yeah. yeah. By that, at that Well, that's why I was doing it. We were hauling hay during the day, mm-hmm. during the week. And... Uh, playing music on the weekends when I wasn't rodeoing and that's that's what paid my entry fees was mm-hmm. picking and singing in them old honky tonks yeah. so we got that going and then again I didn't have wasn't able to play basketball and very little baseball but my oldest brother Mike who's now a 35 or 36 year old veteran high school coach he's the athletic director there at Stockton now uh, when he went to college he put himself through college by umpiring baseball because okay. he was a really accomplished baseball player, we, or all of us were, but um, so he started umpiring, just high school baseball. Cool. And uh, that's because he could go to college all day. Baseball game started at four thirty, yep. and uh, 
and that was intriguing to me. So I started umpiring baseball and, and then picked up basketball. And I, I was a full-time affiliate. During, during the week, uh, springtime I called baseball. In the fall I called softball. Women or college, high school and college softball. And in the winter, I refereed high school and college basketball, and I did that for probably 12 or 15 years. Wow, that's so awesome. So during the week. So anyway, um, fast forward again. So I've got this little band, um, entering rodeos, um, doing whatever, just trying to scratch out a living, you know, and, and really doing fairly well for a high school kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in nine, so I, after high school, I go to college to Southwest Missouri State to, to try to bulldog in, in the college ranks and didn't have a horse, didn't have a rig, and it just didn't work. Um, and I was enjoying my life. I mean, I, I had kind of a pretty good life for a 18, 19-year-old. Heck yeah. I mean, I was going to the dance halls, and it wasn't it wasn't had nothing to do with alcohol or none of that. I didn't even, I had no desire for that. It was just fun people. Yeah, yeah you're you doing fun things. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I loved, yeah. the, loved the music, you're loved the crowds. and. And the people that came to listen to what we do, they were they were having fun. It was yeah. the attitudes were so positive, and mm-hmm. and uh, so I was I was playing music, calling games, making some money, getting to rodeo, starting a bit to afford a horse now and then. So all this has transpired. And well, when you're doing that kind of stuff, like everything that you're doing, what you enjoyed, yeah. you loved, and you're finding a way to make money out of it, sure. and you're finding a way to make your dreams come true. Sure, sure. But it's easy to work hard when you have that passion behind it. Sure. Sure, and have those people in your life. What I think probably the biggest key to, I don't want to call it success because I'm still working my butt off for a living, but I'm very proud of my career. I've had the same career now for a long time, but I think one of the things I'll probably credit myself for the most is I didn't waste it when I had somebody in my life that could teach me something. Mm-hmm. I didn't let that slip away. It may not be what to do, because I've had a lot of people show me what not to do. Right. And there's a whole other story. Remind me of that. Because I, I had a, a very intense um, drug situation that I really want to tell this story to the, any of the kids listening. Because it was an extreme turning point in my life. Uh, for the good. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen what not to do. And I'll get into that later on. But anyway... Um, so fast forward through all this, the college deal, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't have time to devote my time to the rodeo and deal. And I actually went to college to be a game warden of all. Really? Because oh, no I loved hunting and yeah. And then I didn't, <laughs> I kind of feel dumb now, but it's, again, it's turned out right. But I didn't, real, I was already in college uh, before I realized you had to have a criminal justice degree to be a game warden. And I said, oh, no. I'm like, um, this was a bad choice. <laughs> just yeah. kidding. Yeah, just kidding. Reroute, reroute. Yeah. So, and I thought, you know, I, I, I wanted to finish college, but I, I guess I had so many opportunities to make a living and uh, not be away from my family. My mom and dad, my brothers, we were all really close. Yeah. So... Now I'm back to just rodeoing full time, playing music, and officiating ball. So how long did you go to college for? A year. A year. Yeah. Okay. And um, so in ninety, um, in the fall of 1995, November of 95, and think it was Thanksgiving weekend. There's a a big indoor arena in Humansville, Missouri now, and now 
about any kid in the Midwest has heard of the Double J Indoor Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even when you were talking about it earlier, I was like, yeah. there's definitely an arena there now. They have probably more youth rodeos in the Midwest than any other building. Oh, cool. And it is literally a gravel county road for three or four miles to get to it. Mm-hmm. It is literally out in the middle of their ranch, but they host... In fact, I think they're solely... They have some jackpot team roping the barrel races now, but it's I don't even think they put on a rodeo that's just not... Unless it's a youth rodeo. Right. That's awesome. So anyway, they had just built... Roger and Debbie Johnson had just built this ranch or, and arena, and they started to put on... A, a, they wanted to put on a bull riding event in the fall of 95. <clears throat> and... Uh, I was there, I think I was there actually shagging bulls is what I was there wanting to do. Or I knew, I knew the guys putting on the bull, the producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Debbie, if you don't know Debbie, if you do know Debbie, you will you can fill in the blanks that she's quite a card. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And uh, this announced local whatever, they had hired to announce it. Didn't They had a little... In, in-house sound system and a little CD player thing. He didn't show up. And she's like, hey, this was the night before, and he was supposed to be there to run the check stuff and do a sound check. And he didn't show up, and she said, uh, Kelly, you need to do this. And I said, do what? She said, announce this event. And I said, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I know. Not basketball games. Not yeah, no. I mean, I was rodeoing. Yeah. I mean, at that time, I was going every weekend through yeah. rodeo season. I said, I don't yeah, I've heard a thousand rodeo announcers, but I never paid attention. And, and uh, but I had the band. See, I was playing, mm-hmm. and full or not full time, but every single weekend we weren't rodeoing; we were playing mm-hmm. music. She said, "You're the only one here that's not afraid of a microphone and has some rodeo knowledge. You have to do this." And again, if you know Debbie Johnson, those that is not the words she used. That's not quite how it's put together. <laughs> and. Uh, Meaning that it wasn't really optional at that point. Yeah, I didn't. I, and I, and, 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 you were doing this. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I said, well, okay. I mean, I was extremely reluctant. So we go up into the announcer stand, and it was the one and only time I wore a headset, little Garth Brooks-looking microphone thing. <laughs> I, I wish they wouldn't have invented them. Yeah. <clears throat> I go up there, and I do a little sound check, and we had uh, cassette tapes and CDs. And we had like four or five, like an ACDC and a Merle Haggard. Oh. And that was my music. So I go up there and said a little prayer, sang the national anthem, and played whatever kind of music I could play and announced this bull riding. And I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I kind of had written down on a back of a Kleenex box or something, you know, okay, yeah. we're going to do this first, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to try to buck a few bulls, and then this clown's going to go out and blow up a hat box and then we're going to do that i mean it was just so rough it was so rough around the edges we got through it i kind of enjoyed it the people giggled and laughed at my stupid jokes and we had we just had a good time and yeah again that same kind of feeling back when i run my first steer and when i give reasons the first time and i was doing something that was way out of my comfort zone but it was something that somebody else they they needed me to do it it and i wanted to test myself and it was an extreme distance from the boundaries of my comfort zone but I did it and knowing that I could very easily fail at this but I didn't 
good. Exactly right. One of my favorite little things that pops up on social media from time to time where it's like there's a circle and that's it says you in it or something like that and then there's another circle on the outside of it and it says where dreams happen. Like sure. on the outside of your comfort zone. Sure. Like everything leading up, you had so much that prepared you for that moment. Right. Right? But when you actually take the time to look at it, like you said, at one point you were sitting on a bulldog and horse going uh -oh. How do I do this? And then there's that, you know, and then you get to this bull ride where you're sitting in the announcer's booth going, uh-oh. Yep. But when you walked away from that, when you walked away from the first time singing, when you walked away from jumping that first steer, yep. it was that release, that sure. that rush. And I, I would have never done those things. Like that when Debbie, she force-fed me that event. Mm -hmm. But she did it knowing that I could do it. She had more confidence in me than I did, like by a million times. Yeah. But... It's because going back to what I said earlier, I I, I never tried to, I tried very hard not to waste anybody that I stumbled across mm -hmm. that could help me advance in even if it was in some field that I didn't think I was going to go in. Mm -hmm. I just tried not to waste that little tidbit of knowledge yep. Yep. or opportunity. confidence or opportunity. Well, and if you do, like if you if you do it and you don't like it, then you don't have to do it again. You don't, yeah, you don't have but to. But if, you, exactly right. if yeah. you don't do it and then you're like, well, you go to bed at night, that very night, and you're like, why did I turn that down? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's times sometimes even me, I'm like, I should be doing something more, you right. know, and it's like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to rectify the fact that I didn't do that today. Right. I right. think there's a huge thing going on right now, and I want to touch on this. I wanted to touch on it when you were talking about how you went to college for a year. Um, I did about the same thing. I spent two years in New Mexico at a junior college, and I went to Texas Tech. But I went into a program that all my friends were in because I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. Right. And I didn't take the time to figure it out. You had things going on in your life that were huge opportunities, and you recognize that, and you're like, well, I'm just going to keep running with what's working, and it's sure. built to where you are now. And that's kind of where I feel like I've found that alignment. Right. Is um, I kind of forget where I was going to go with that. <laughs> um, dang, what was the last things you had just said it just about the opportunity and like when you went to yeah. college with your yeah and followed so your friends i think there's a huge disconnect with with having to have things figured out it's okay to try things sure because mm -hmm. that's how you learn that's how you make connections <clears throat> because down the road you could be at a certain point in your career but somebody over here that you've dealt with before is like right. okay well we've dealt with him he does a really good job we should give him a try right and now that could just propel into a whole new area for your career i had no idea that we would talk about william shatner on this show but <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you never know i'm guessing 90 whatever year old william shatner when he was probably living in very meek mild conditions 90 years ago probably didn't realize that he would be one of the first citizens to fly into outer space on a mm -hmm. spaceship either yeah. you know what i mean yeah so i mean exactly it, the, right. all of the avenues that i took I had no idea what I was going to do. I wanted to be a game warden, wanted to be a firefighter. I was on the volunteer fire department, mm -hmm. and like most rural kids were back in that day. I mean, everybody was on the fire department because you had to, because there wasn't nobody else going to come. You yeah. had to come yeah. with, with each other. You had, yeah. The neighbors had to come. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, you're right. You just got to try. Nobody just, Sage Kimsey didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'll be a world champion boat rider today. Right. You know, we had to try it the first time somewhere. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that day in 95, when I announced that first one, I had fun. The crowd had fun. What I guess they liked it. And it was terrible, but it was better than they had. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they did a one monthly through the winter. Yeah. And they asked me if I'd come back and do the next one. I said, well, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
and I did the second one, you'll get it. This is, I just remind myself of a, probably the funniest part of this story. So I, I do the second one. I was way better because I at least jumped in the water once. Yeah. And uh, so the, after the second one, she said, do we need to pay you something? And I said, I, I have no idea. I don't know what, how this works. You know, I, I guess those announcers that I've heard probably get paid. I don't know if they do it for a living. I never even thought about it. Yeah. You know, I literally never thought about it. You were living in the moment. And the yeah, moment well, was, this is what I needed for. I don't yeah. have an option. And so we'll. Yeah. Well, I didn't think about what everybody else did for a living. Or does, right. you know, when you're that age, I didn't. Oh, there's, yeah, there's just supposed to be pickup men out there. Where do they come? Do they fall out of a tree? Or where does that person live? What's he do? So anyway, uh, I said, yeah, I, I, whatever. I guess, you know, it'd be great if you wanted to. But she said, well, how much? And I said, I, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm doing, let alone know what to charge. And we agreed on punching a time card as a ranch hand. Oh. And I wish I had that time card, but I don't. Yeah. I never thought about it then. I've started collecting stuff, and now I've got a house full of crap that I've collected I don't need. <laughs> but there's a, I, the one thing I wish I had would have been. So we decided on, on that, and uh, she said, well, go in the cafe. You know, every little sale barn's got a cafe, and every little indoor arena's got. Mm -hmm. She said, that's where the time clock is. Just go in there and write your name on a time card, and we'll pay you for two and a half hours a night. So that's what I did the rest of that winter. And uh, at, back then, in 90... This was in 95. Mm -hmm. uh, it was $6 an hour. Okay. So I made $15 a performance. Were nice. you still able to nice. compete? Uh, yeah, I was yeah. still competing. Yeah. Well, they, those were bull ridings then. Oh, okay, gotcha. At, they started having rodeos, and I, I, then I went on to compete there, too. And that's when I started bulldogging and roping in the amateur ranks. And, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, um, yeah, that was I made six dollars an hour, and I punched a time card to announce oh, my first rodeo. Well, that was That's more cool. than a cent of bail. That's better than all. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And way yeah. less physically I demanding. Made, yeah, but. I made. I'd have had to hold fifteen hundred bales. Yeah. And then to make fifteen bucks. So, anyway. Uh, yeah. So the next fast forward to ninety six, um, the guy that was shagging bulls. Uh, at the time was work was a pickup man for a PRCA stock contractor which was uh, uh, mid uh, Johnny Walters mm, yep, yep and uh, he also worked for a few other guys and he heard me do it and recommended me to a couple guys and all of a sudden that second year I get a call from Larry Gross Don and Larry Gross out of Oklahoma oh Gross rings a bell even he was me. an NFR bull rider back year in the probably the 70s okay and him and his mom, his father and son, Don and Larry Gross, put on some little local bull riding events. And they called me to go to Jay, Oklahoma. And uh, they said, how much do you charge? And I said, I, I don't even have a sound system or not. I don't even have, I don't, I don't even know what the, the tools, are I mean, I was learning kind of what it took to do this, but I said, I don't have a, any sound equipment. I thought, wait a minute, yeah, I do, because I, I got a band. So I do have some stuff. Resourceful. Well, yeah. Resourceful. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I could take some of the band equipment and maybe put something together and go do this. And so they uh, they had me go to Jay, Oklahoma, and uh, announce my first on the road bull, bull riding event. Sweet. And then that was that next spring or summer. And then a couple of local stock contractors, amateur contractors, called me that next year. In 
late 96. And in 97, I woke up with about 50 performances. Wow. Rodeo performances. And in 98, I was working 100 performances a year. In 98? Wow. That's not that long of a time frame no. from the time it started. Yeah, I mean, it, my I guess my skill set was was good there. I guess it it was my it was my niche. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was I guess I was good at it. And the the things I say good at, I wasn't meaning I'm not boasting, but I guess the the things that I needed to be good at came easy for me yeah. in that field. Well, it was your calling, and when you're yeah. when you're living and working in your calling, yeah. those things do come yeah. easier. Like. You learn and, them easier and yeah, 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 it's faster. More, it's natural sure. for you. It's what you're supposed to do, and you're not trying to force anything. Right. You're doing it because it's the path that you're supposed to be on. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So that was in ninety. So in ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand, I was working piles of rodeos. Slowed down on the music deal because my weekends were booked, and uh, but I was still refereeing and umpiring baseball during the day. And uh, in two thousand or ninety nine, two thousand. The goal is not much to most people, but I was doing pretty good bulldogging at the amateur level, and the roping deal was, I was pretty handy header, and uh, I got a call from one of my buddies that that the rodeo coach at Missouri Valley College was going to quit, and they needed somebody to take over the rodeo team. I'm like, because I'd learned a lot from 95 to 99. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had really learned a tremendous amount. And because I had some of the right people in my life that was teaching it to me. And I guess back to that thing that I give myself a little credit for, I really paid attention to what everybody else was doing. Not that I was being nosy, as I was wanting to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. Curious. It's just curiosity. And and I I had the desire to get better at whatever I was doing. I I didn't know where I was headed, but I wanted to be good at it when I got there. Yeah. And uh, so anyhow, uh, just out of the blue, they asked me if I'd be the head rodeo coach at Missouri Valley College. I'm like, well, I don't have a degree. I'm like, well, to in that scenario back then, you didn't have to be a degree holding, a, a degree, you didn't have to have a college degree right, to, to head coach. the rodeo team. Yeah. I said, well, I'd been to college, so I knew the system. And uh, so, long story short, in 99, I accepted the job and I became the head rodeo coach at Missouri Valley. And when I got there, I think there were 71 students on that team. Wow. That's a big team. It was huge. Still it's is. Still a big team. team no, they that's... they all weren't active entering contestants, but there but was a still. bunch of bunch of students on that team. Yeah. We had a, I think there was a, I don't know, hundred acres there, and an indoor arena, an outdoor arena, and a, and a, you know, a budget and yep. scholarships, yeah. and there was a lot it was a of program. Money. It yep. was a huge a program, and that was the, that was the biggest responsibility I'd ever taken on in my life, and loved it. Mm-hmm. Three quarters of the kids there, I was rodeoing with. It was a little weird. I was like, I'm not your coach. I'm your hauling partner. You're yeah, like, I'm your buddy. I mean, we were. I mean, some of those guys I was hauling with. Oh, you know, yeah. we were rodeoing four four rodeos a week together. And but I I did take it over and, and absolutely I learned more in that year probably than anything. And I one of my goals was I wanted to the MRCA, which is a mm-hmm. local association of Missouri, the Missouri Rodeo Cowboys Association. Oh, yeah. Their finals is each year at the Missouri State Fair, and. Uh, I'd been there as, you know, uh, several different positions, mm-hmm. arena director, and uh, I'd never made it in the team roping, but I wanted to announce it and make it in the Bulldogging. So in 2000, I qualified in the Bulldogging and was selected to announce it no. the, same, awesome. the same year. How cool That's so that? cool. And uh, so uh, it was 
pretty funny. So at the time, I was doing the, the bull riding at the Missouri State Fair. I was doing horseback. And the rodeo, the MRCA finals, I wasn't. So I was in the announcer stand. But when it come come bulldogging time, I'd announce the bulldogging from the arena floor. And I'd hand my mic over to the, the Ram Rodeo rep at the time, Pat York from Texas. Oh, him perfect. I'd hand him a microphone and say, well, folks, I'll be right back. And I'd, Go I'd hop up That'd on my horse. That would be great for the crowd. Way. I mean, That's, I'm sure like that they it. loved that interaction. Yeah. Like, oh, we've been listening to him all night. And now, like, yeah. and now we get to watch him work. Yeah. 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 So I'd hop off my horse and – or hop on a horse and run my steer and pick the microphone back up and walk back up. And no that's, that's, that's super awesome. cool. So, and that was a three header. So that was, you know, that don't mean much. It was just the MRCA finals, which, which is a good organization, but, uh, that was a big deal for me. Yeah. It was didn't pay not much, you know, the bulldogging for sure. Didn't, I think I want a check or two in a couple of rounds, but, uh, to but get it was the, a goal. It was a stepping yeah, stone. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to go to the same event and be selected by my peers to hold the microphone and actually qualify as a contestant. Yeah. Well, and that's so, where it's not always about the money. It's about yeah. accomplishing things. Yeah. You know, the money will yeah. come. But yeah. yeah. So anyway, that, yeah. that's where that happened. And then while I was coaching, we had a super year. Those kids really took me under their arm more than I took them under mine because they knew I needed help. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to train a barrel horse. I don't know how to correctly mark out a bronc. I don't know. I'm not a, an accomplished calf roper. I'd roped and tied down calves. I'd entered in the calf roping, but I was terrible at it. I, I don't know how to teach some kid that's wanting to pursue a career in a calf roping or a girl in the goat tying. I don't know how to help make them better, but I know people that do. Right. There you go. And that was my key. That's why I was a good coach. Is I, I never tried to – well, I tried to pick up Bronx too. I never had enough good horses, but – I I got myself in more wrecks than I did picking up, but I picked up for several rodeos. But I never was mounted, so I yeah. learned real quick that that wasn't my calling either. Yeah. And I just I I was fast to accept accept it when I wasn't good at something. Yeah, that's huge. And I either done, I done one of two things. I tried I made myself get better, or moved on. Yeah. And found somebody who Bef- could help. before I yeah. yeah before I hurt somebody else or hurt myself. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I told all the parents and the students. I said give me a chance to help you because I don't know, I don't know how to make you better, but I know people that do. Yeah. And that's when I got on the horn and started, you know, Hey, I need uh, whoever, you know, Joe Schmo to come and help these girls in the breakaway are open. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd get accomplished bronc riders to come help these guys get out on their horses and set their, their side, their bronc saddles, right. And, mm-hmm. and how to rig in a bareback horse correctly. And, yeah. you know, just those little basic things that, yeah. that these guys so anyway, um, so we took 10, we qualified 10 to the college national final. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, we won reserve in the region. John Luthie, the coach at UTM, uh, he was so instrumental in helping me and the girls in Walla Walla. I mean, they really helped me. And, yeah. Uh, well, and when you're humble enough and honest enough yes. and curious enough to ask questions and yeah. ask for help, mm-hmm. people will help you even when you're not asking for it because you're willing to accept it. And there's yeah. an energy about that yeah. that's like, all right, we're in this together. This guy yeah. needs my help. Whereas if you walk in there sure. and you're you know, arrogant yeah. or anything like that, trying to do it all by yourself, you're not going to have that. So yeah. just having that open mind, people will naturally gravitate to you sure. to help you. Sure. Okay, and that, to be genuine. And that's yeah. what they, and they did. Yeah, genuine. That's yeah. a great word for it. So we, we were able to do that. And then I, I then my, my, the, my, my students, the, the students on the team, uh, they, I had some people 
the well, the ram rep that I had to hand my microphone off to when I was bulldogging, he was always on me. He said, Kelly, you need to move on. Not that you're better than this, but there's more out there for you. Because at that time, I'd had in 90 <clears throat> or in 2000, I had that big schedule started in that 97, 98 era range. So I'd had three years of 50 to 100 performances a year. So I had rapidly honed my craft up until that point. Yeah. And, or I'd gotten way better at it really quick because there was a there was a big when you and I us three talked about this the other night there was a void there at that level in that area yeah I mean, they, there was room for another announcer and there was too many events compared to how many announcers there were mm-hmm. so I had a lot of rodeos yeah I had a lot of rodeos in a short period of time so I got way better way quicker because I had so many chances to practice yeah mm-hmm. so um, this him and two or three other people started encouraging me to put in for my pro card. I'm like, huh, no, are you crazy? Because this is still very recent to me. It's just three or four years ago. I didn't even, I couldn't even spell rodeo announcer, you know. And uh, they encouraged me, and I was like, well, I don't know. I'm coaching, you know. I've got a, I've got I'm playing music, and I'm, I'm rodeoing, and I'm coaching. I don't what, what? Resting games. And I was, yeah. so much I was like, how, how? I don't even have time to. I don't even remember when my birthday is, you know. And uh, I thought, you know what? I could slow down, try to start a life, and start to build a career and do one thing. At that point, and in so in 2000, I was born in 75, so I'd have been 25 years old. And I thought, I'm at a point in my life. I didn't have no wife. I didn't have a family. I thought, this is the time where I have to just push the gas pedal through the floorboard yes. on something. I need to cut out, start. I need to start. Less using, busyness, more I, direction. I need to start using my coal, coal pen a little bit and start culling off the stuff that I'm not, that's not going to benefit me when I'm an old man or a, a dad or a husband. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I quit playing music and I quit officiating ball. And uh, the last steer I ran was the coaches jackpot in Livingston, Alabama, UWA. Cool. Uh, all of us coaches, were, most of us were bulldoggers, so we'd all or throw a hundred in a pot and just have a coach's jackpot. Mm-hmm. It kind of fired up the kids, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. To see their coaches compete. So that was pretty cool. And and uh, we went to college national finals. And uh, that I guess I'd, you know, met some guys there. And they entered announcers and judges and pickup men. And I started to meet a few guys in the PRCA that were making a living at it. And and uh, the kids did. We took 10 to the college finals that year. And and I thought, you know, I, we were at a – I had a – let me back up a little bit. I had a student meeting or a team meeting every Wednesday. Or we did, not I. And uh, I remember Travis Durfee, which is mm-hmm. Tyson Durfee's middle brother. There's Wes, who him and I are the same age. We high school rodeo together. And there's Travis and Tyson, who has now become a world champion since mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And Tyson, or, uh, Travis and I were really good buddies back then. And, and uh I remember he was in the back of the room, and I brought it up. I said, I've got some guys, some encouragement to get my pro card. What do you guys think? I asked my team what they thought, you know, because I didn't want to leave them. I mean, we they, they liked me, and I liked them, and we were accomplishing things. Because we're a family. Yeah, and, I mean, they'd screwed around. They had had their first time ever uh, re, uh, Ozark Region Coach of the Year. Those turd heads voted me in as that. You know what? I'm like, <laughs> what? what, what? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I remember Travis in the back of the room said, uh, if you want to do it, go do it. You've got what it takes, go do it. 
because I didn't even put in for my card yet. Because mm-hmm. back then you had to send in so much money, you had to send a list of rodeos. They would fly in an evaluator secretly. Wow. You didn't know they were wow. there. You would send five events, and they would send somebody from the PRCI office to one of those events who would just buy a ticket and sit in the audience and watch. They would hmm. watch you uptown. Yep. They would kind of stalk you a little bit to watch how you conducted yourself in town. Yep. They would watch how you announced the rodeo. And they would watch how you conducted yourself after the rodeo. And I put in for it. And after all that encouragement and uh, got my card approved. And so when I got my card approved, I thought, okay, I'll try it. And uh, Shad Smith was buddies with John Barnes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had said, I, you know, I can put in a good word for you. And I'd talk to John Barnes and then ultimately talked to Bob Barnes, who is uh, Pro Rodeo Hall yeah. of Famer, Stock Contractor of the Year. And he was the man. He was the man in that time. You know, if, if you were going to make a living in the PRCA, you started with Bob Barnes. And uh, I built up the nerve to call him and uh, say, what do I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm supposed to call you. Uh, encouraged by Shad and John. Because mm-hmm. Shad at that point was younger than I was, I think. And uh, he was still riding bulls. I remember announcing rodeos when Shad was riding. Anyway, uh, Bob said, if you get your car, because, and also after you got your PRCA card in that day, era, the first year you had your card, you had to work five PRCA rodeos on your permit oh, to, in order okay. to get a full-blown get card. card. Okay. So you still had to go, just because you were approved for your permit doesn't mean you were officially you to, you an announcer. You had to figure yeah. out how to way to come up with five rodeos. Well, I'm okay. like, well, who's going to, who in the world would hire me? Yeah. Well, that's the same question. I'd asked myself several other times. I'm like, well. Dive in. I just dive in head first, I guess. So they told me to call Bob, so I called Bob, and he said, by golly, pardon, you get your card, I'll get you your five. And that was the, right. the whole conversation. I said, well, what? he said, don't worry about where they are or when they are. He said, you get your card, I'll get you your five. So I finished up with that and got my got my card. And, in fact, a guy that I had met, and he's actually, it's funny how the full circle happens. There was a sound man, and that was just the start of the PBR, actually, and there was a sound guy and a logistic dirt guy, equipment guy <clears throat> from St. Louis area that was working, had made some friends with those amateur associations that I was working and who had started being the main music sound guy and dirt guy for the PBR. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a sound man at a couple of rodeos. In fact, the one where I got evaluated at Mark Twain Lake. Mm-hmm. And he said, you get your card, I can get you a rodeo too, because he was working for Jerome Robinson. Oh, okay. World champion or average champion bull rider, yeah. Hall of Famer, you know, uh, who was now the, he's the, he's the cheese in the PBR and has been the whole time. And uh, so I got my card and he got me Burlington, Colorado cool. for Jerome Robinson. If you've never met Jerome Robinson, he is very intimidating. Really? And yeah, you, it's hard to look him in the eye. He is the, <laughs> he is the boss. <laughs> he is the boss wherever he is. And uh, so... I, Bob Barnes did exactly what he said he was going to yep. do. He gave me five rodeos, and Jerome Robinson gave me one, and that fulfilled my permit. And then uh, the next year, Bob gave me, like, I probably had 15 or 20 performances. And year number three, I had 100. Yeah. And, wow. And I, That's a huge jump. So when I, yeah. when, I got my, when I got my card approved, I put in, a like, a three- or four-month notice at the college. And uh, talk about full circle again. Guess who took my position when I left? Was it Ken? Odie McCloy. Oh, really? Odie McCloy, wow. who was the family that owned the ranch where I bulldogged that first steer mm-hmm. years oh, no prior. Way. Wow. He became the coach and was for 
15 years until yeah. Ken Mason yeah. is there now. I was going to say, I didn't think he'd been there that long. But Odie was riding Bronx. And when we were in high school rodeo, and Odie and I were the same age. Mm-hmm. So Odie was riding Bronx, and so we knew each other. So yeah. I kind of just, I didn't really train him because he's very intelligent. I just kind of showed him what little I knew, what had worked showed for us. And then he became a hugely successful coach up there for a long time. That's awesome. And uh, How cool. So anyway, that's how that started. And by 2002, I was I probably had a hundred performances a year, right? And then one thing led to another, and uh, here I are, in uh, tw- and yeah. then just there, everything exploded after that, and and uh, I guess this would be would be twenty six years this year. Wow. Wow. I actually became a gold card member this year. I've had my PRCA Ooh. card for twenty years. Can we clap for that? No, you don't need. After you have a PRCA card uninterrupted for twenty years, you become a gold card member. Yeah. So cool. I don't know what that gets you other than everybody thinks you're an old man now. But uh, yeah. but anyway, that's kind of where we are, and it's became it's provided for my family, and yeah. we have a ranch back at home. And since then, I've met my wife and I have a little five year old boy. And did you meet her on the road? Like, did you meet her somewhere? Uh, no, she she actually was from Colorado and moved. Her dad had moved a job back to Missouri when she was eight or nine years old, and and then in uh, about oh five, uh, we were putting on a PRCA rodeo. I was putting one on, producing one in Wheatland, Missouri, at the Lucas Oil Speedway, actually. Oh, okay. And I was needing flag girls, and there was an amateur rodeo in Springfield, Missouri. And so I just went down there to see some buddies, and I seen a girl that I'd been really good friends with uh, for a long time. I just knew her from deer camp. Actually, her stepdad was one of my hunting buddies. And so I went down there, I seen her. I was like, hey, I've seen, I recognize her. So I went and visited, and she had this friend with her. I said, I need like three flag girls. And I said, what about your buddy? Can she not fall off a horse, you know? And <laughs> I just figured it was just some other girl that wasn't going to work out, you know? And uh, she's like, she's probably right better than I can. I said, well, bring her with you because I need another flag girl. Yeah. And that was the end of the story. They came to the rodeo, and we got to be buddies. We were actually just buddies for a while. And then one thing led to another, and we celebrated our set. We were together eight years, or, yeah, seven years before we got married. Yeah. And then, uh, actually, I when I flew out here last Monday, uh, what, that was <laughs> – that's what I did for our anniversary is I left her, <laughs> <Winnebago>. left her, <laughs> I, I left, I left her at home to take care of 100 head of cattle and a five-year-old oh on, our, on our seventh anniversary. It's a good woman. Yes. Oh, oh she's the, yeah. she's the blue. So, that's awesome. yeah, that's where, that's, cool. that's my career story right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we are towards the end of it, but you said to come back to um, yes. something about the drug deal. So, Not drug deal. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the midst of around that MRCA finals time where I made it in the Bulldog and, and announced that I had uh, some guys that I just I knew and would, had rodeoed with that I'd really looked up to, uh, we were in my truck one day. And these, these are guys, I, I, I guess they had, I was so naive, just a naive country boy that didn't, I'd, I'd heard the word drug, but I didn't, I would, you could lay a joint down on that table when I was at that age. I would, what is that, an old wet cigarette or yeah. something you know yeah. what is that i don't even know and uh thank god that my family and all my friends didn't we didn't nobody was involved with it in any way so we were in my truck one day at uh, one of those rodeos around the mrca finals and i had two three of those guys in the truck with me and i'm not even going to say the titles they had because it it's 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 a bygone issue yeah mm-hmm. and i learned from it but whatever they've got their own stuff to deal with 
and uh, one of the three guys, and all three of these guys were very important to me, um, pulled out a, a mirror and laid it on my console. Oh, no. And uh, I, I didn't know what it was, I, but it ended up being cocaine. And uh, like I said, these are just normal guys that I would have never thought, you know, just guys that I've seen every day. And uh, they they laid out four lines of cocaine on my console and took an ink pen apart and snoop, 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 three of them and handed me the ink pen. And, and said, to you. They said, it's your turn. I said, to do what? And I said, we'll get you some. And I said, uh, no, I don't think I want a part of this. And they said, oh, it's fine. You'll like it. You'll this and you'll that. And then loads of peer pressure. And uh, that was the probably one of the big I, I wanted to because the people that were encouraging me to do it were my friends yeah. but um, so there's a fine line that you have to it goes back to the one of the few things I give myself credit for you have to recognize when an opportunity arises you also have to recognize when a bad decision is poking his it's gloomy head up mm -hmm. not you, all opportunities are good that's right no, that's exactly and this was an opportunity mm -hmm. for me I, I, I literally wanted to do it because my friends were doing it mm -hmm. well and you enter another world you and know? the you minute enter, if I would have done that I would have entered a world that I may not ever come out of because mm -hmm. we all three of us sitting at this table probably know somebody that has either lost their life or their life is ruined or somebody else's life is ruined because of them damn drugs yep and uh, that was a big deal to me, and I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I'm young in '90. That was a, that would have been in probably '98. I mean, I was only 23 years old, mm -hmm. and very influential with the people because uh, at that point, and still to this day, everything I have is because somebody else helped me. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got a talent just like both of you do. Yeah. We all got, are good at something. I get it. I'm good at my job. Whatever. I'm very humbled, and I'm thankful for that. But I still wouldn't be able to do what I do if other people hadn't helped me get here. Yeah. Nobody does it alone. Nobody does. And whoever says yeah, whoever says that's not true they're not a liar. They're just not smart enough to recognize it. Yeah. Or not willing to recognize mm -hmm. it. Maybe not smart enough. But anyway, that was one of the toughest decisions I ever made to to not do that because every every part of my normal person was like, Well, yeah, I'll do it. Your buddies are doing it, it ain't gonna kill you. And it probably wouldn't have killed me. That day, that day, yeah, right. exactly. That's in the saying. moment, yeah. but it might have it th that might have led to something that would have. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So I, I, I thought I, I was trying, but on the same time, I didn't want to lose my friends over it. Yeah. And I just said, well, the I'm going to repercussions gonna, of saying yeah. that are just as scary as saying yeah. no. Yeah. And it affected our friendship a little bit, but I just I slid it back over across the console, and I said something to the effect of. No, I'm not going to do that, and don't ever put me in this position again. Yeah, good for you. And that was literally they, who I, I'm sure one they, somebody probably did the one they had for me. Yeah. And that was the. And I will I will give them this. These three guys that were in my truck that day. They never, they knew I was serious, and they never did it in front of me again, and they never subjected me to it ever at any level ever again. So. That's done. I will give them that credit. Yeah, they had the respect for and it. I, and I had respect to them. That, and I told them, you guys want to do it, you do it. 
but don't ever put me in this position again. And they never did. Well, I think that's what happens. You know, we did this big leadership course earlier this year, my mom and my two sisters and I, and the number one thing that they talked about so often is standing in your power. And once you stand up and you say, no, like that's not happening. And then you, you set your mind on that and you set all your energy towards that and all your beliefs towards that. You won't be tempted with it. Sure. Yeah. And even people in the future, like it's just, you're setting a precedent for your life. Yep. And by saying no in that one moment, you got stronger to be oh, able to say no, you know, not necessarily to drugs, but to whatever else came around well, that. That's a good point because I never really thought about that till you just said that. But knowing that I had the ability to make monumental decisions, yep. I mean, that was one of the, and I may not sound like a big deal, but just I, I dug down and found enough courage somehow to tell three of my best friends no on yeah. something they were just begging me to do mm-hmm. that wouldn't have we probably weren't going to get caught and we it probably wouldn't have killed me that but it was a that day yeah. but that was going that was going to be a horrible decision for me and somehow I just mustered up enough courage to tell them no and to never do that again and they didn't so you know um, it's those pivotal pivotal moments mm-hmm. uh, that are the game changers. Yep. And it only takes 30 seconds. Yeah. Or less. Or less. Yeah. I mean, so, um, you know, that was a, I guess that's, it's those, those certain people that affect you positive. Like I said earlier, earlier, the, it wasn't just the people that I learned that taught me what to do. It was just as much the one that right there I learned what not to do yep mm-hmm. and I, I can promise you that it it would have probably been just like going to a dance or a party with your buddies when everybody's out there dancing and everybody's having fun because you're doing something together mm-hmm. I okay that might have been fun to me to do it with my buddies and and you just it's those moments I guess I don't want to sound like a broken record but it's those it's not just those great winning victories moments it's those bad ones too that you can learn that decision right there might have been and quite possibly could have been the biggest most beneficial decision i've ever made mm-hmm. yeah in more ways than what you can yeah it's not people. getting my prca card or not getting married not even having a child or getting saved or going to you know making sure the lord was a god was a part of my life Honestly, that might have been the biggest one I ever made was to not do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, that's a great message. I just I don't want to ever don't if, if there's one person or a million people listening to this, don't just think that it's a bed of roses out there and every decision you make is going to be for the good. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or because well, that's not all decisions are good. I mean, I still make mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's but but it's not it's not those times where. Oh, do I take this sponsor or that sponsor, or right. do I do I win this much or do I go over here to win this much? Sometimes you have to decide who you are. Yes, I cannot do that. That's a decision. Yeah, just like oh, this person's offered me this much, or let's go eat a big old steak, or it's it's sometimes it's deciding what not to do that is the some of the biggest things we'll ever do in our life. Because I mean, I've lived it, I, and that right there might not have been. I might have done it once and moved on, never done it again. Yeah. So how but, important do you think, what's your opinion on, you know, at that point in your life, you had so much good going on and you were making incredible moves. You were aligned with 
with your path. Yeah, I don't know how when we got to wrap this up. No, but, go ahead. I'm listening. Um, in that moment, a very pinnacle moment in your life, you were able to take that step back and be like, does this benefit me moving forward? Because like when you were sitting on the bulldogging horse, worst case scenario, you, you get in a bit of a wreck, you get run over maybe by the steer, you get up. You fell forward though, right? right. You just jumped the oh, steer, yeah. now you yep. can move on, now you right. can get better from there. But you had to take a step back and analyze yourself personally. Sure. And you had the confidence in yourself to be like, not tonight, boys. Right. Is that a question? Yeah, I guess my deal would be, my question for that is, how important is it to be that self-aware? I think it's just like that decision there. I think it's ultimately important. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think you have, those, that's more important than being talented in whatever field we choose. Your character yeah. is what yeah. prevails. Because at the end of the day, you could lose your voice. Sure. Mm-hmm. You could break your ankle or yeah. you can get hurt. You can be to where you're not physically capable of doing what you're doing sure. that looks good. But at the end of the day, what's your character? And if you're making those bad decisions or if you've made those bad decisions, you know, there might be somebody listening to this who's in that position right now yeah, where they did say yeah. yes. Yeah. And I would there have, is a way out. I would have, good point. I would have loved to have heard somebody tell me the story that I just told before that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. that was as odd, unfamiliar as anything I'd ever been exposed to. I'd never even heard a story like that. Mm-hmm. I would have really liked if somebody said, hey, you know this happened to me. My buddy's got me cornered one time said, here, smoke yeah. this. And I had to say no. I would have had something and I would have been a at least a, a little bit prepared ready yeah. yeah but i was not prepared for that yeah but i had to find a way to get prepared Real fast. right now <laughs> yeah. and the fact that you yeah. were so sure-footed you know it, it there wasn't another option in your brain yeah, it there, was like this is not this what yeah. i'm a part of or want to be a part of and the sure-footedness goes back to i mean i've been blessed with a mom and dad we didn't have anything we didn't have any money but we did have character and responsibility and yeah. and and faith and we had all these things that you know my mom I got in, uh, one more story and I'll, I know we're way over time but I got in trouble I was a public speaker or the guest speaker at a, I don't know, a graduation or some sc- a school function and, and uh, I told the story about uh, I said moms and dads you don't you shouldn't have to tell your kids not to drink and drive and the administration actually got on to me for it. Said, so next time you speak here, you don't say nothing about, don't encourage parents to not tell their kids not to drink and drive. And I said, well, don't hire me to speak at your school again. Right. That wasn't my point. My point was, is my mom and dad, if the parents are doing the right job, they don't have to tell me not to drink and drive because I know better. 100%. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad never told us three boys, you better not do this. They didn't have to tell us the better not, we better not do that. Yeah. Yeah. We knew we shouldn't do that. We all know right yeah. from wrong. Yeah, and exactly. they had taught us what happens when you do, why you why you don't, and they never come out and said, now you're going to that party, you're going to the barn warming. That's what they used to call it back in the ancient days. I don't know what they call it now. But <laughs> they the don't F- even have those the, anymore, do the they? F- <laughs> the FFA dance was yeah. called a barn. But anyway, they, they never told us that. They said, if you ever make that decision, you call me and we'll come get you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You won't be in trouble. You'll only be in trouble if you don't. Yeah. Don't yep. call us. Yeah, my parents well, say I, yeah. You know what? We ain't calling my mom and dad. If I go out there and sneak a beer in, I ain't calling my mom and dad to come get me. Yeah. I'm just not going to sneak the beer in. I'm not going to put myself in that position to yeah. have to make these decisions. Yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah. Put yourself in the position. And it goes back to, is recognition a word? Yeah. Can be now. Recognizing. You have to have have the ability to recognize a potential scenario or a potential situation. You know, well, you I, have to be able to look past this moment. Sure. Like, yes, you need to live in the need moment. To be in it, but, but you also need to know if I make this decision, then this is going to happen. Yeah, it might not be if I make the, this, this decision, this is going to happen. I'm not disagreeing, right. but adding to that. If, if I make a decision right now, oh, no, this is going to happen. It can be if I make this decision, I'm going to be put in a situation that something else could happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you're driving down the road. I don't, I don't look right in front of my vehicle. Hopefully right. you guys don't either. Yeah. You have to look way up ahead. No. I'm not saying don't take today for granted. Right. Because we have to make sure we smell the roses today, too, because all three of us may not be alive tomorrow. Right. This roof may fall in before this interview's over and kill us all. Mm-hmm. But we have to prepare in case we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why we, we have retirement funds. Good direction. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's why you buy insurance. Yeah. But, you know, you have to look up there ahead to make sure that the, the three cars up or five cars up ain't coming over in your lane to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to not just make decisions on what is going to happen to me immediately, but just putting yourself in a bad situation that has uh, the ability to, to get in one of these predicaments. Mm-hmm. You have to avoid those. Exactly. And uh, if, you're, if you just pay attention, recognize the good and the bad before it hits you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. That's what it takes. Yeah. Yes. Well, we know that you have a lunch today, so... Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. This is full of so much awesome stuff, and the stories that you shared. I think I love there's these perspective changes. Yeah, those are the best. Well, on the Rodeo Kids podcast, you know, this is why we have these conversations right. with people who are new to it, and the people who have been there. Because you know, when we can follow in the footsteps yeah. of the people who have already been there, done that, that's when we learn yeah. how to. That's how we what learn. It takes. That's how we move forward. You know, that's well, how it grows the sport. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. And, not, and it grows the sport, and it grows careers and lives. And it and grows it, character. It sure and does. Sure. And yes. This has been an awesome, amazing, insightful perspective for some life-changing podcast about taking opportunities and saying yes to the right ones and also saying no to the wrong ones and having that discipline in the direction to chase your dreams and not let anything get in the way of it. And Kelly Kenny has one more story. We want to be respectful of your time, but if you want to listen up, Click on the next episode to hear the extra from this Rodeo Kids podcast with pro rodeo announcer, Kelly Kenny.